This is the first in a series of podcasts that will introduce you to some of the key principles of cognitive behavioural therapy for low mood and depression. CBT, as it's commonly called, is one of the most widely used therapies nowadays, and there's a lot of research supporting its effectiveness for depression. Of course, these podcasts can't hope to be a replacement for therapy, but they can give you some ideas to try which might help a little at a difficult time, and might be part of the process of working your way through it. We're starting here with the B of CBT, and a strategy called behavioural activation. At its heart is a really simple idea, do more of what matters to you. But anyone who's had depression will know that this is anything but simple. I use the term depression loosely here. It's a commonly used word, but means different things for different people. Perhaps you're finding yourself feeling down, irritable or tearful. Perhaps it's not so much what you're feeling as what you're not, struggling to muster the energy or enthusiasm for work or socialising, feeling flat or numb, disconnected from the world. These sorts of lingering changes in mood often come with related difficulties, problems with sleep, energy, appetite, concentration. People often describe just how effortful day-to-day activities become, like walking through treacle. Sometimes it can be a real struggle even to get out of bed, let alone get to a lecture or settle down to write an essay or tackle a problem sheet. Or perhaps work's okay, a refuge even, but the thought of going to hall or someone knocking on your door fills you with dread. And alongside these problems, the real double whammy of depression is that stream of harsh, self-blaming thoughts that beats you up for what you're not doing, a gap between what you expect of yourself and what feels possible at the moment. I'm not going to get into the whys and wherefores of depression in any detail here. Indeed, the causes are usually complex, multiple and highly personal. Generally speaking, it can be seen as a response to life events or circumstances that feel overwhelming and unmanageable. Now, there may be very clear reasons why you're feeling low right now, but there may not be. Sometimes our feelings work in mysterious and opaque ways. Either way, though, there are reasons. And so in finding ways to deal with depression, it's important to think about what those underlying causes might be. That may be hard to do on your own, and this is one way in which counselling can help. Behavioural activation, the technique I'm going to talk about, focuses less on the historical causes of depression, more on the things keeping it going in the present. Basically, the theory is that when you're feeling low, irritable, tired or whatever, the gut instinct is to shy away from doing things, to avoid the effort and pain they may entail. Now, this is a pretty natural coping response. We want to get away from things that feel challenging or stressful in any way. In fact, some psychologists suggest there may be a kind of evolutionarily protective mechanism at play in depression, a kind of slow-down-and-retreat instinct, once adaptive for times of threat or peril. Combine this with the human capacity for self-awareness, however, and the complex nature of the societies in which we now live, and it risks becoming something much more destructive. From a behavioural perspective, one of the big risks is that the avoidance instinct ends up inadvertently feeding the depression, because it means you miss out on things that might help to make you feel better. And so you feel even lower, and the cycle continues. Behavioural activation is based on this model and provides a way out of the cycle. 
Often, when we're feeling low or lacking in confidence, we can fall into the trap of thinking we must wait until we feel right internally before taking action. Now, this makes some sense. Of course, we do want to listen to our thoughts, feelings and urges. The problem is that in depression, our inner life takes on a consistently negative slant. And when it really takes hold, this ends up keeping us paralysed, constantly waiting for the cloud to lift. The big idea in behavioural activation is to work from the outside in. Make a change to what you're doing first, then the thoughts, feelings and motivation will catch up. Have you ever had an experience where you were supposed to do something, let's say go to some college event, but you really didn't feel like it and you expected it to go badly? Then you were cajoled into going and when you got there, you felt glad you made it. That's what we're aiming for. And the better you feel, the more motivated you become to do more of the things that matter to you. And so instead of a vicious cycle, you get a positive one. So that basic premise again, doing more of what matters to you. In the remainder of this podcast, I'm going to unpick the nuances of this strategy by outlining my top tips for successful behavioural activation. Number one, watch out for the inner critic. I'm talking here about that lurking tendency to pull yourself down, to judge and evaluate and blame yourself. So often for people who are depressed, the inner critic is a near constant presence. And self-critical thoughts aren't just horrible in themselves, they can also sabotage the whole process of recovery. No technique is going to have any chance of helping if you're hating yourself whilst doing it. How then to respond? One thing that's worth asking yourself is, does the critic have a hidden agenda? Weird though this might sound, sometimes the critical voice is trying to protect you in some way. Maybe it's preempting the criticism you fear from others, or preventing you from taking risks, or perhaps there's a fear of letting your standards slip or losing control in some way. The problem is, this voice has become so powerful that it stops you taking any risks. Neurologically, the part of your brain that watches out for threat has gone into overdrive. So I won't say, let go of the inner critic. If it was that easy, you would have done it by now. But in embarking on behavioural activation, it's really important to be on your guard for ways in which the critic will seek to trip you up. This is new territory, and novelty feeds the critic. It'll plant doubt. It'll underestimate you. It'll come down hard when things don't go well. Do your best to enter into this with kindness towards yourself. Remember, it's not your fault that you're feeling the way you are. Ready yourself to take some risks. Number two, gather some data. When you do behavioural activation with a therapist, they'll often start by getting you to keep a diary of your weekly activities and the extent to which they're providing three key things. Enjoyment, achievement and closeness to others. You can even crystallise the picture by rating these three feelings at different times throughout the day when you're doing different things. It might feel difficult taking a good look at how you're spending your time, but it's a really good way of making connections between what you're doing and how you're feeling. Often when people do this exercise, they're surprised by patterns they hadn't noticed, by the balance of those three key ingredients, or lack of balance. Again though, approach it with curiosity and compassion towards yourself. If your diary looks bare, there's good reason for this. Number three, ask yourself what matters. Once you've got a good idea of how things are now, 
you're ready to think about where there's room for change. Remember that key principle, doing more of what matters to you. That last bit is important. This has no hope of working if the things you're doing more of aren't things you really care about. Try this exercise. Split a page into four and write down what's important to you in four life domains. Work, play, relationships and health. These aren't hard and fast categories. Feel free to tweak or add if they don't work for you. The important thing is to ask yourself what you value in these areas. These could be more abstract things like valuing trust or authenticity in relationships. Or they might be very concrete, valuing tennis or music. There's no right or wrong here. Nobody can contest your values. Nobody can decide them for you. Sometimes it is hard to figure out what we value when we're surrounded by messages about what we should value. Here in Oxford, it can feel like the very air you're breathing is infused with the smell of scholarship and academic excellence. There's lots that's great about that, but the value attached to achievement can mean that other values and parts of yourself get less of a look in. Sometimes when you're depressed, you can also lose touch with what you really value. Or perhaps you've never really allowed yourself to think about this. Let this then be an exercise in discovery. Is there anything you've felt drawn to before but never had a chance to try? Are there memories you can bring to mind of times when you did feel that spark of enjoyment, closeness or achievement? If you're not sure yet, that's okay. No one has all their values figured out and no one lives by them all the time. Number four, pace yourself. A common trap here is judging yourself on the basis of what would have been possible before you started feeling the way you do now. This is unfair and risks setting you up to fail. It can also make it difficult to even get started if somewhere in your mind you're still expecting yourself to be as productive academically and ready to socialise as you used to be, that can feel daunting, overwhelming and off-putting. There's no shame in going slow. In fact, it may be a pretty sensible and responsible thing to do. Number five, plan it. Once you've got some idea of where you want to start, it's a good idea to give some careful thought to the practicalities. What exactly would be a good way to include more of what I value into my week? What is practically possible? When and how can I make time for it? And what do I need to do to prepare? Unless you get into the logistical details and protect the time, it's easy for it not to happen. And let's face it, in Oxford, the pressures on your time are enormous. How many times have you made a vague plan to meet up with someone sometime? The months go by and it never happens. But set a date there and then, chances are it will. Try to find this same kind of commitment for yourself and remind yourself the task is to see it through whether or not you feel like it when the time comes. The nice thing about having values as your compass here, rather than goals which are more specific, is that there are usually lots of ways you can realise them. This gives you the flexibility and creativity to focus on what is possible and within your control in circumstances where there may be external barriers, be they money or weather or looming thesis deadlines. Number six, know what you're up against. I mentioned earlier on that trap where we think we have to feel motivated already before we go through with something. I think there are probably some social discourses feeding into this around what it means to be confident, mentally well and the like. But there can also be more insidious thoughts and feelings holding us back that are more to do with what we perceive to be the costs or risks of engaging in the things we avoid. Perhaps there's some anxiety around certain types of activities. 
Perhaps there are feelings of anger or resentment bubbling away that need addressing. Sometimes we get hemmed in by shoulds and musts. Are there ideas about what sorts of values or activities should be prioritised? Does part of you believe somewhere that enjoyable experiences must be earned? Are there fears around what would happen if you took your foot off the pedal and allowed yourself to let go a bit more? It's worth giving some thought to whether there may be barriers such as these at play for you and how they might hold you back from fully committing to the activities you've planned. Having these in clearer sight and finding ways to talk them through if you need to will mean you're better equipped to manage them. If you find they run deep, consider whether counselling might help. Number seven. Finally, and linked to this last point, watch out for dampening appraisals. Sometimes you can follow all this advice for some reason things don't go well. You pick your activity, one you really value, you plan it carefully, see it through and yet still no spark, no real enjoyment or satisfaction. Sound familiar? If so, it may be important to think not just about what you're doing but how you're doing it. Depression has a knack for sucking the joy out of things. Psychologist Barney Dunn talks about its capacity to turn gold into lead or more bluntly to piss on the parade. It does this by planting what he calls dampening appraisals in our minds. These are basically ways of processing what we're doing that tone down our chances of deriving pleasure from them. I don't deserve this is a common one. It's not going to last is another. Comparisons to a time when things were easier, smoother, to the natural ease with which other people seem to be doing whatever it is you're doing. These kinds of thoughts are typically pretty automatic and they have a pernicious effect drawing you out of the flow, making it harder to be present and engaged. So watch out for them. A good way to tackle dampening appraisals is to practice cultivating an ability to engage wholeheartedly in what you're doing. In other words, doing it mindfully. If you notice your mind questioning, dampening, try to bring it back to the activity at hand. Notice the sights and sounds on your walk. Really listen to what your friend is saying. Enjoy that coffee and cake in all its sweet, rich deliciousness. Again, this is difficult stuff. Try not to beat yourself up when your mind wanders, when it all comes crashing down. It probably will sometimes. This takes practice. But when you do feel that spark of enjoyment, stay with it. Trust it. Allow yourself to make the most of it. That brings us to the end of this first podcast. If you'd like to find out more about behavioural activation, do check out the links on our website. Many of the books listed are also available to you online with your library login. The next podcast will introduce you to some of the cognitive techniques in CBT. But I want to end by reminding you that you don't need to go it alone. Indeed, for many people with depression, professional help in the form of therapy, medication or both plays a vital role in the process of getting better. Various forms of support are available to you in Oxford and you can contact the University Counselling Service directly using the details on our website or you can make an appointment with your GP. If you are struggling, do reach out. Thanks for listening.